Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. While you're turning there, especially this morning, I counted a privilege to be able to stand in this pulpit and open up God's Word to you as we've thought a little bit about Pastor Whitfield and his faithfulness, and then also to be able to have a current pastor who is faithful in the Word. And uh, it's a, a little daunting to be able to come and to stand and open up God's Word, but Uh, It's a privilege to be able to stand and to point you to uh, what God has for us this morning. Again, you're in Galatians chapter 2. The book of Galatians is the Apostle Paul's defense of the gospel as well as a personal defense of his apostleship against false teachers. These false teachers had crept into the churches of the area of Galatia, and he had served. Paul had ministered. He had poured out his life to these churches and Then the false teachers were coming in and seeking to usurp that ministry. And so in this book, he calls them back to a foundational realities, the foundational realities of the gospel. I trust it will be a blessing to us this morning as we are once again in Galatians chapter 2. He didn't know his name. He didn't know his hometown or even who his family was. The year was 2004, and Benjamin Kyle, as he became to be known, was found unconscious, covered in blood, outside a Burger King restaurant. He had blunt force trauma to his head, and he was in serious need of help. He was rushed to the emergency room. The doctors began to clean him up, began to uh, perform the necessary medical procedures to help him to recover. And as the doctors patched him up, Something, another issue arose, and that was that he realized that he had no recollection of who he was. And since he was found without any identification, and there was no family that came forward to claim him, he really was stuck, unsure of how to proceed. He couldn't even really be discharged from the hospital, so in order to be released, he assumed the name Benjamin Kyle simply because BK are the initials for... Burger King. And so as he took on this name of Benjamin Kyle, then he was able to be released, but that was just the beginning of a 10-year quest to find out who he was. This journey included multiple fingerprintings, multiple conversations with investigators. He not only spoke to the investigators in the United States, but he also had interviews with Interpol. He even spoke to the Canadian police as well. After a short time, even a documentary was made trying to shed light on his plight, try to kind of open things up and see if anybody even recognized him. But all these things yielded no definitive answers. And in the meantime, while all the investigations were being pursued on his behalf, he learned how hard life was for a person who doesn't know who he is. He couldn't get a Social Security card which also meant he couldn't get a job. Without identification, he couldn't get a license, and so driving a car was off the table as well. He couldn't rent a house. He wasn't even allowed to stay in shelters for any length of time because, after a while, they needed to have some form of identification. Benjamin Kyle, as he was known, was stuck as a man without an identity. Several individuals came forward to try to help him in his plight, but they all yielded little to no fruit. In fact, it wasn't even until 2015, so 10 years, 11 years, 
when DNA matching was finally introduced, was he able to finally link him genetically to a family in Indianapolis, Indiana. And for the first time in what seemed like forever, he at least had a name. Benjamin Kyle was in fact named William Burgess Powell. And from this pivotal piece of information, he was finally able to start putting the pieces of his life back together, even though he still didn't remember any of it. Now, as you imagine, as we hear the story of this individual, I can imagine it would be a fearful thing not to remember who you are, to wake up in the hospital and have no recollection of who you are or how to navigate life. And as I read the story, my heart went out to this man. But something struck me. As heart-wrenching as this story was, there's an even more sad story that's being played over and over again in the hearts of men and women each and every moment of their lives. And that struggle is knowing and living and understanding who our Savior is and our identity in him. See, often we are wooed by the philosophies of man. We get distracted with life. All the while, Jesus and the gospel ought to be the defining identity of every man, woman, and child. Some of us ignorantly walk away from this reality. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We rebelled against God. All of us are born into that reality. And, and that is sad in and of itself, but it also is sad when we as believers forget who we are in Christ. And this expectation that every person should live Understanding who Jesus is and what the gospel is, uh, this expectation is what we are confronted with in our text for the morning. You're in Galatians chapter 2, and we're confronted with the Apostle Paul's declaration that we are to find our identity and way of life in Christ. For some of us, that might mean we need to accept Christ, and we need to take on his identity, his Uh, The reality of what Christ has done for us needs to break through our sin nature and the rebellion that we have against God. But for for those of us who are children of God, we need to be reminded of our reality in Christ, the identity that we have in Christ. Now, this might mean some practical things need to take place, but I trust through our study this morning we'll come to know who we are before God and our text of the morning, again, is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, in the first part of 21. Let's read those two verses. Probably very familiar verses. These verses were, as I began studying, I pulled out my systematic theologies, and there's a lot that is covered in these verses. And so we're going to do our best in the time we have to walk through and understand a few things. The first thing we need to understand is that if you are a believer in Christ, your identity is wrapped up in him. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, the first part of verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Again, if you are a believer in Christ, your identity is wrapped up in him. 
The first phrase of our text says, I am crucified with Christ. We need to understand that if you are in Christ, you are dead to yourself. You're dead to yourself. It can't be Jesus plus something else. It can't be Jesus plus my, myself. It can't be Jesus plus my pursuits. It can't be Jesus plus my dreams. It can't be Jesus plus my fleshly desires. If you are in Christ today, you are dead to yourself. He says the phrase, I am crucified with Christ. What is Paul talking about? Does that mean that Paul went with Jesus to the cross, literally? No. But what it does mean is that Paul and his old way of living, as we know him, Saul, all that died when he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And if that happened to Paul, and this is his testimony, then that also has happened to us if we've accepted Christ. Have you ever met a person who's completely different after their encounter with Christ? You know, maybe it's even your own life. Before you lived by every whim of your flesh, you did what you wanted. You had all the goals in life, and you were pursuing those goals, and then when you accepted Christ, something changed. Well, yeah, you died. You died. Your, your pursuits, your dreams, your fleshly desires, they all died. And they were crucified with our Savior. Now, this has some ramifications. First off, objectively, a believer's flesh has been conquered by Christ's sacrifice. Think about this. You are a new creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Again, very popular verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Does that characterize your life? Your old man, fleshly desires, died with Jesus. Okay, now when I say that, you might say, and as you read 2 Corinthians 5.17, and maybe even uh, many of us have that memorized, in the back of your mind, you might have a little bit of a catch because what happens is that though objectively a believer's flesh has been conquered by Christ, you still have those times where you, your flesh rears its ugly head, right? In fact, the Apostle Paul even says, the things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And so he even says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And what does he do? He goes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. So objectively, if you are in Christ today, your flesh has been conquered by Christ. This is a wonderful reality. You can go to bed today realizing if you are in Christ that your sins have been covered and your flesh has been vanquished. Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection was sufficient to end your fleshly rule in your life. Objectively, you are dead to yourself. However, when our flesh does rear its ugly head, how should we respond to that? Because I still sin, I don't know about you, but I still struggle with the fleshly desires. So what is this verse and how does this verse help? Well, again, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Yes, you are dead to yourself, objectively, 
But also, can I submit to you that we are called to cooperate with God by strangling our flesh. Scripture makes it clear that we are to mortify the deeds of our flesh. Mortify literally means to strangle or to hold in, uh, to, to minimize on a daily basis, to step on, to squish, uh, to, again, minimize its effects in your life. And so we are dead to ourselves objectively, but also now subjectively, we get to work. We are called to cooperate with God. Galatians talks a lot about that. And flip over to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 24, and this gives us a little bit more of a picture of kind of what Paul is talking about. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, you don't have to look at that one, but I'll read it. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. That's the objective reality. But then it also says, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We have that temptation with us all the time. And so what do we do? Look at verse, 20, uh, verse 24. It says, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. We're called to mortify the, our flesh. We're called to put to death the flesh. That's our expectation. And whereas before, before we were believers, we couldn't put to death our own flesh. There was nothing we could do to put to death our flesh, but because of what Christ has done and the objective reality that if you are in Christ, then your flesh is dead, now, subjectively, as you work through day by day and as your flesh rears its ugly head, you are then called to, like verse 24 says, you are to crucify the flesh with the affections and the lusts. You play an active part. And though we may not, we, we may hedge a little bit at this idea of cooperating with God because he's the one who gives us the power to do it, we are called and we are commanded to put to death our affections and our lusts. Beloved, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a new creature. Christ makes all things new, but each believer is called to reconnect ourselves or to reckon, can I say that, to reckon indeed ourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. We are expected through Christ's power to put to death the affections and the lusts that seek to war against our spirit. See, oftentimes we as humans go through this life oblivious to our real nature. One of the things that's true about man is that we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. But what Paul does here is he doesn't give himself the benefit of the doubt. Rather, he is dependent and he is holding on to his identity in Christ. He knows that he is sinful. He knows his real plight. He knows that there is a real need for his sins to be forgiven, and he looks at Jesus and he realizes that is the solution. That is the only place. So when he says, I am crucified with Christ, it is one in one sense saying very clearly, he lives the gospel. His identity is wrapped up in the gospel. Objectively, but also now Paul then crucifies his flesh as he lives his life as well. And the end of Galatians, again, speaks to this as the works of the flesh and as they are contrasted with the works of the Spirit. 
And we are to position ourselves like a bucket can't fill itself. We are to position ourselves by mortifying the deeds of our flesh. We are to position ourselves so that we are filled as a bucket with the fruits of the Spirit. That is one of our realities in Christ. If you are a believer, you are dead to yourself. How is this possible? Well, the verse, our passage continues on. It says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Immediately we don't go to heaven. We're still living this life. But then he says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We need to understand that if you are a believer in Christ, you are dead to yourself, but also you are joined to Christ. There's a wonderful doctrine called the union with Christ. You experience union with Christ. And those who accept Christ have this union. No one else has it. If you are today unsaved, you don't have union with Christ. There is enmity between you and God. But if you've accepted Christ, you get eternal salvation, you get a home in heaven, but you also get your sins forgiven, but you also get now union with Christ. He says here, uh, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. What is this union with Christ? What are the aspects? Well, first off, you have judicial unity with Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, if you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees you both. Can I put it that way? He sees his righteousness credited to your account. It truly is, like Isaiah says, by his stripes, we are healed. What Christ did for us, now we get his righteousness. We sing a song, and it's in our hymnal, His Robes for Mind, and it is a wonderful exchange. Christ, Christ, who is clothed in righteousness, gives us his righteousness, so that then when God takes a look at us, he sees the righteousness of his Son on our account. And so we have judicial unity with Christ. But that's not all. We also have spiritual unity Because when we accept Christ, then we get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us as believers. And he is the one who illumines scripture. The one who teaches us uh, what God would have for us to do and how to navigate this life. And so we not only get judicial unity, but we also get spiritual unity. And it's fascinating. If you do a quick study on the Holy Spirit, there are times when He is called the Spirit of Christ. He is also called the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And I started doing a quick study on that reality when when Scripture lays out that the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. And as the theologians were debating, what it came down to is that there's no real way to tell the difference from the end of Christ and the beginning of the Holy Spirit. And it's like they are together and they are functioning together. And so you have this unity with the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And so you are joined to Christ in judicial unity. You are joined to Christ in spiritual unity. But then here's a wonderful reality. You are joined to Christ in dynamic unity. If we are in Christ, then Christ energizes us to bring forth fruit and strengthens us to accomplish his will. 
Think about this, John chapter 15, when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you shall bring forth much fruit. He continues on and he says, without me, you can do how much? Nothing. And so when we are in Christ, we are joined to him in dynamic unity. There is power. And Christ empowers you to accomplish his will for your life. If you are not in Christ, you are a slave to your flesh. The things your flesh wanted, that's what you will do. But if you are in Christ, then you have judicial unity, spiritual unity, and also dynamic unity. This has great ramifications for us. Have you ever had times where you think, I don't know if I can do what God has called me to do. I don't know if I have the strength to do this anymore, Lord. And when you go to God and you go to your Savior and you say, Lord, would you help me? He promises to give this dynamic unity. And Paul says, the life, yet not I. So I live. I live in the flesh. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. If you sit here today a saved person, And you experience all the ramifications of union with Christ. You are no longer under condemnation from God, as Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says. You are declared righteous in Christ. He looks at you and he sees Christ's righteousness. Again, what a wonderful truth. But there's more. If you are in Christ, you have his strength. You are identified with him. Your old nature has died and you are alive in him. He is in you, literally, the hope of glory. I don't know if you are struggling with the question, who am I this morning? I find it fascinating. There's a lot of people who are struggling with who am I. Specifically, even within uh, the younger generation, with the advent of a lot of social media, I was doing a quick little study And I realized that so many of our young people struggle with this very question, who am I? How do I fit? Now that's a normal question, but then when you add in all of the beautiful pictures on Facebook and Instagram and you see all of the beautiful faces and you see all of the wonderful times and yes, Facebook and Instagram can have sometimes its benefit, but can I say there's a massive problem that is uh, hitting our young generation when they see what is going on around them and they become jealous and they begin to wonder well why don't I look like that and why don't I get some of those things and there is depression and there is anxiety and they don't know who they are because they try to fashion some sort of online presence all the while they're sitting there wondering who am I Beloved, I don't know if that's you this, this, this morning. Perhaps maybe it's a little bit different, but I hope that you know who you are in Christ. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Your old way of living is dead. It's gone. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The term Christian is a wonderful term. It literally meant and means little Christ. Because if you, if Christ is in you, 
the hope of glory, can I say, it will have ramifications to how you live. And that's where we go now to the second part of our passage. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And here we go. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. We saw that if you are a believer in Christ, first off, your identity is wrapped up in him. But now secondly, if you are a believer in Christ, your living is wrapped up in him. He says the phrase, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The life he lives in the flesh, the day to day, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It is a life characterized by your faith in Christ. As I was reading that phrase, I live by the faith of the Son of God, you kind of read that and you think, wow, that's just a wonderful phrase, all beautiful. And scripture is beautiful. But at the same time, I stood back and I thought, what does that mean? We say some of these words and we say the phrases, but what does it mean to live by the faith of the Son of God? If your identity is wrapped up in him, can I say and submit to you that your life is wrapped up in that faith? Your faith in Jesus is always the answer to the why you do what you do, or why don't you do what you don't do. We've seen a great example of this in our study on Sunday nights in Romans. Pastor Craig has been dealing with some of the practical things in Romans. We had a lot of the doctrine early on in Romans, but then it, got, it gets very practical. And in Romans chapter 14, if you remember correctly, uh, Pastor Craig was talking about something as mundane as eating food. And can I say the gospel affects even what you eat? Verse 23 of Romans chapter 14 says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What is Paul making clear? Well, Paul is making clear that your faith must educate and motivate every aspect of your life. An illustration of this is in the arena of athletics. Perhaps you've had a coach or maybe your, your uh, sibling has had a coach or maybe even your children or grandchildren have had a coach who they go and as they coach, they kind of, you kind of are wondering, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to maybe why they're doing what they're doing. Contrast that with a coach that is probably uh, a good coach who has an answer or a reason for every single thing that they ask their players to do. I think of the coach uh, John Wooden, Hall of Fame coach for the UCLA Bruins. And one of the fascinating things, I have a book on, on my shelf uh, that talks and walks through uh, modern basketball, coaching modern basketball from John Wooden. And one of the things that he did with his players is the very first day he would sit down and he would teach them how to put on their socks and tie their shoes. And you might be like, well, it has nothing to do with basketball. Well, yes, it does. And John Wooden wanted things done a certain way because he had a reason for everything that they did. Again, shoes, socks, you get blisters, you can't perform, break ankles, all of those things. And so you are called, he called them, to put your shoes and socks on properly. You might say, well, that's a little bit crazy. However, let's think spiritually. Do you have a reason for why you watch the shows you watch? 
Do you have a reason for why you don't watch the shows you don't watch? Do you have a reason why you don't go to certain areas? And maybe you would have reasons why you do go to certain places and do certain things. What Paul is saying here is he lives by the faith of the Son of God. His faith educated every aspect of his life. And if it didn't match up, then he wouldn't do it. If it did match up, he wanted to do it. He needed to do it. And so, do you have a faith? Do you live by the faith of the Son of God? You may say, well, what's the big deal, Pastor Nate? I mean, come on. It's a show, or it's uh, entertainment, or it's amusement. Why is it such a big deal to have a reason for everything you do? Well, because of who our Savior is and what our Savior did for us. The verse verse continues, our passage continues. He says, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Why is it such a big deal? Well, consider what your Savior did for you. He loves you. Do you know that Jesus loves you this morning? Are Are you enraptured by this love? Do you grasp I mean, we will never grasp it fully, but you know the height and the depth of the love of your Savior. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Can I say with confidence, your Savior loves you this morning. But this love wasn't just an outward show or an outward phrase but he actually proved he proved that love when the passage even goes on he says he loves you and he gave himself for you he loved me he gave himself for me this is a love that acted it's a love that motivated him to sacrifice for you first peter chapter 3 verse 18 says for christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust the just, my Savior, for me, the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Since the gospel is true, he loved me, he gave himself for me, then it is my responsibility, it is my reasonable service to present myself and all that I am, my body, my goals, my pursuits, to his lordship as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto him as Romans chapter 12 states. Beloved, it is total and full surrender. And sometimes we have people who say, hey, I have liberty in Christ, I can do whatever I want. Well, no, that's not the case. If If we struggle in that, can I point you back to the love of your Savior and the sacrifice of your Savior? Does your faith and your identity with Christ motivate every choice? Does your faith educate and limit your priorities, your pursuits, and your passions? If I say, if not, can I say we probably need a refresher in our Savior's love and his sacrifice for us. Beloved, if we are in Christ, we are to live for him. So I live by the faith of the Son of God. What does that also look like? The first part of verse 21, I do not waste then or I do not frustrate the grace of God. That means that we don't pursue our, any other identity or other way of life. Think about this, you give and you sacrifice maybe for your children, for an endeavor or a a cause, and then to watch that person maybe not care 
walk away. Can you feel, at least in my heart, I would sit there and say, I wasted my time. Can I say, God has given us unmerited favor and grace. And when we decide to live another identity, another pursuit, it is like smacking him in the face. It is taking the grace of God and it is wasting it. So to pursue any other identity or way of life, the original audience, can I say, was enamored and swayed by Judaism. And they were trying to go back to a different reality or a different identity. In fact, Paul even says in Galatians 1, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that hath called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He goes on to say it's not really the gospel, it's just a, it's a, it's a counterfeit. But he marveled at these people who walked away and went back to all of the law and the constraints of the law. And he says, don't waste the grace of God. Oh, we probably wouldn't be swayed by Judaism, okay? But no matter what it is, to be swayed by anything but Christ for the believer would be to waste the grace of God bestowed upon us. You sit here today and are experiencing the grace of God on your life this very moment as, you're, as God's word is preached to you. Please don't waste the grace of God. Each of us has been given grace from a benevolent God. I have to ask, are you wasting that grace today? Are you seeking any other identity or pursuit today? Your life as a parent, a child, an employee, a student, has that taken over? If you are in Christ, your identity and your life is wrapped up in him. So to wrap this all up, from politics to finances to education to health care, our country is more divided than ever. Our leaders want power and will seemingly do whatever it takes to keep that power. We have staggering inflation, and yes, we are technically in a recession, even though our leadership fails to recognize that. The next generation is faltering under rampant anxiety and depression. Our schools just began a new school year, but have you ever looked to see what's going on with our schools? They begin years, and they're full of deficits, teacher shortages, Radical ideologies. Again, on top of that, we can't seem to define what a woman is or how they are different from man. We don't even know who we are as individuals. Each day we add letters to our expanding list of identifiers and pronouns. Our media points fingers and struggles to tell the truth. And if we are honest with ourselves, if we look around us, we as a country, as a culture, are in dire straits. And what's more, this is the culture that God has called us to reach. But lest you think the church has it all figured out, we too within the American church culture are struggling as well. Think about this. Many churches have have substituted biblical Christianity with seeker-sensitive entertainment that looks and feels like the world around us. And we have tried to, uh, to be like the world, to reach the world for so long that our testimony has been diluted and the saved are confused as even to how to live a life pleasing to the Savior. We have people sitting in pews that are content with teaching and theology that is a mile wide and an inch deep. And the bottom line is, I believe we have forgotten who we are as Christians. And I would like to submit that we, until we remember not who we are, but whose we are, 
we will struggle to affect change in the world around us. Now, it might seem, again, like we're in uncharted territory, but can I say, Paul is calling the Gentiles back, and the message that he gives to them is the same message that we are confronted with this morning. Again, our text, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Is that your testimony? The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that your testimony? And then lastly, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Is that your testimony this morning? Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Heavenly Father, we have been confronted with your word. We've been confronted with the realities of the gospel. And oh, Lord, what a wonderful reality it is. Lord, my flesh has been crucified with Christ. Lord, if there's some here who are struggling with their flesh, struggling in sin, Lord, would you help them to see that they have been crucified with Christ? Their flesh is dead. Would you help them to see that objective reality, that objective truth, and then to further mortify the deeds of the flesh? Lord, would you help us to find our identity in you And then, Lord, help that to then affect the way that we live our lives. Lord, if there are some here struggling with certain priorities, maybe they've allowed certain things to get in the way, would you help them in the next few moments? Would you work on their hearts? Would you, the Holy Spirit, work and convict, Lord, that they might put Christ back on the throne? May they be proud to be identified as a Christian, and may they live that identification. Lord, I'm thankful that when we do that, you promise rich blessings. You promise a fulfilled life. And Lord, that's just simply because of who you are. You are so good and so kind to us. Help us to live these realities. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.